Sinker heading north, light heading at 074. Check your altimeter set, 2946, corrected center point elevation, 0 feet. Check your barrel running 0, check your STS 123034. Check your fuel, check your speed up, lights out. Welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. The Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. I have got a special treat today, and it's a whole phase shift for me from coming from a jet guy that's used to pushing the throttles up to go fast and go high. I've got a total 180-degree shift today because I've got Mr. Jim Payne, the chief pilot and the board member of the Perlin Project. And if you don't know what the Perlin Project is, you're going to find out. And Jim is a real deal Air Force fighter pilot, test pilot, you name it, but is now flying something really cool right on the edge of space. Jim, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Thank you, Dave. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, Jim, give us a little bit of background. Give us that 30,000-foot, or in your case, 90,000-foot overview of you and the Perlin Project and why people need to listen to this show, because this is really cool stuff. Now, the Perlin Project is a group of people that have built a pressurized sailplane, sailplane being a glider that uh, is so efficient that it can soar. This uh, sailplane is designed to go to flight level 900, and to date we've flown it to flight level 760 in Argentina. It's been a fantastic experience. We have a small team of avid experts. Um, the project was started in the 90s by Einavoldsen. At that time, we thought that the mountain waves didn't go much above the tropopause. But he saw a graphic of the weather in Sweden that showed that there was mountain wave potentially at a very high altitude. So he did some research and discovered that in the polar regions, there's something called the polar vortex or polar night jet, which causes strong winds at very high altitude. And this propagates mountain wave to maybe as high as 130,000 feet. But he and Steve Fawcett got together. They proved the concept using a production glider, which they had modified to support pressure suits. And they flew in uh, 2006, August 29th. So they flew to an altitude of 50,700 feet in El Calafate, Argentina. But Jimmy, let me just ask you a question in there. So for the people that are listening that don't know what a flight level is, so the average person, how many miles up is that? For the average person listening, how many miles high is that? Well, they were approaching 10 miles high. Each flight level is 100 feet. 
So if you say you're at the flight level 500, that's 50,000 feet. Or if you're flight level 760, that's 76,000 feet. So 10 miles high from where the airliners are down in low levels. So that's what's so cool about this. You got a glider going that high. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to get people because a lot of people think gliders, they see out there flying around, but these are darn near spaceships. <laughs> now, the Perlin Project is essentially a space capsule with wings. After this high flight, they decided that they would build a pressurized sailplane. Unfortunately, Steve Fossett was lost in 2007. The program languished for a few years. And then it was picked up by other people. And we made first flight in 2015 and have made four campaigns in Argentina. Our highest flight being flight level 760. And the project has now flown the 10 highest glider flights ever flown in the world, all above uh, 49,000 feet. That's absolutely amazing to me. And Jim, you've got quite the background yourself. So I know you probably don't like to toot your own horn, but I'm going to do it for you. I went to your website, which is the Perlinproject.org. You have flown a lot of cool stuff. So you are the chief pilot and one of the guys flying this really cool aircraft. Tell us just a little bit about your background. Well, growing up, my dad told stories of flying B-17s and B-24s, and that kind of inspired me to be interested in aviation. When I was about 13 years old, I read a National Geographic article that talked about soaring, and I decided then I wanted to try uh, flying gliders. I was fortunate to go to the Air Force Academy. At the Air Force Academy, they had the glider program where I learned to fly sailplanes and actually became a cadet instructor. Ended up with like 850 flights when I graduated. I was fortunate to go to pilot training. My first assignment was an F-4, Seymour Johnson, and I flew F-4s in Iceland where I got to do 13 intercepts of uh, Russian bears. Then I became uh, F-5E aggressor pilot in England, did two years uh, running around Europe pretending I was flying a MiG. I went to test pilot school. After test pilot school, I was fortunate to fly the F-16XL. That was the cranked arrow wing version, essentially a delta wing that the Air Force uh, built two of. After that, I spent uh, many years teaching at test pilot school. After I retired from the Air Force, I was the flight test manager for the Global Hawk at Edwards. I also got involved in a project with Northrop Grumman, which is called the Firebird Project. I made first flight of their two-seat Firebird, and then I made uh, first flight of the Perlin when it flew. And uh, I made also a first flight of the Nixus sailplane, which is a sailplane which has fly-by-wire ailerons and flaps, which has been a kind of interesting project also. Along the way, I've logged almost 7,000 hours of glider time, a lot of it flying in a mountain wave. My longest flight is 1,806 miles cross country in a sailplane. It took 12 and a half hours. I held 17 world records. Some of them have been beaten all in uh, sailplanes. But uh, for instance, my fastest world record, 154 miles an hour for a 1,000 kilometer out and return flight, which was done here in Argentina. I've also had a flight which is like 15 and a half hours, one single flight in a sailplane. And, uh, of course, uh, flown the Perlin to these high altitudes. <laughs> and the reason that I did that was not to embarrass you with these accolades. But you know what? We talk to people every week on this show as we come up into the end of this first break. And I really wanted to really showcase what it takes, a lifetime spent of moving step by step and achieving things. And I really want to make that clear for people because we talk about goals and achieving great things. 
a lifetime span of step by step making things happen. And here you are now flying this really neat glider to the edge of space in a space capsule, as you said. So when we come back from this break, I'd like to talk about the aircraft and Mountain Wave and why you're doing what you're doing, because it's really neat stuff. And for any of you that are interested in science and technology or even getting started flying, it starts with a simple glider and goes from there. This is Dave Costa, the Renegade Aviator. I'm with Jim Payne of the Perlin Project at PerlinProject.org. Stay right there. Hey, you get on the plane. Pilot, of course, always has to come on the PA system. This guy's so excited about being a pilot, he can't even stand himself. <laughs> well, I'm going to take it up to about 20,000. Then I'm going to make a left by Pittsburgh. Then I'm going to make a right by Chicago. Then I'm going to bring it down to 15,000. Know, giving you the whole route, all his moves. We're in the back going, yeah, fine, that's all. <laughs> you know, just do whatever the hell you got to do. I don't know. End up where it says on the ticket, really, is <laughs> our only concern. Do I bother him with what I'm doing, knocking on the cockpit door? I'm having the peanuts now. Yeah, that's what we're doing back here. Thought I'd keep you posted. I'm not going to have them all now. I'm just going to have a few. I don't want to finish it because it's such a big bag. <laughs> then the stewardesses have to come out. They have to do their little emergency equipment show. You know, that thing they do. One of them reads it. The other one acts it out. <laughs> hey, we have seatbelts and oxygen masks. Things for you to use. Call our listener line. 888-366-5256. Ask a question, leave a comment. Renegade Aviator, David Costa. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, the renegade aviator, soaring high. One thing I have not flown is a glider, and I thought I flew a lot of airplanes until I met Jim Payne of the Perlin Project. Go to perlinproject.org. Jim, in the break, you had mentioned something, and this is key. When did you first have this type of an idea of flying a glider really, really high? I think people need to hear this. When I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, the Air Force Academy had a sailplane, which actually held the two-seat world altitude record. And in the top of the hangar, someone had left a partial pressure suit. So when it came time for me to pick a topic for my senior technical writing course, I wrote a paper on what would be required to fly to high altitude and break the world altitude record in sailplanes. That kind of planted the seed. When I was in test pilot school in the mid-80s, we had a project called Sorigal. We installed pressure suit system in a sailplane and uh, flew it. The highest altitude I was able to achieve then was uh, 42,200 feet. And the reason was Edwards is at a latitude where the winds tend to die off above the trouble pause. And uh, 42,200 was about as high as we could get given where the trouble pause was on the days that we flew. Subsequently, of course, we've discovered what this uh, polar night jet is, and we've been able to achieve the goal after many, many years. It's been a fantastic uh, journey getting there and achieving this goal. It's interesting, this purpose of the Perlin Project, I see on your website that you have your mission statement is clearly shown there. But so you're learning more things about the atmosphere in general, because up until what you guys, I guess, prior to this, people thought that the winds to, I guess, and I'm going to say this stupidly, so please correct me. So the winds kind of died down at a fairly low altitude, and now you're finding that there's a difference in the atmosphere that we, previous to this, didn't realize. Am I explaining that properly? Exactly. The whole purpose of the project is basically innovation, trying to build a sailplane that can go high and have proper life support to keep the crew safe. We're trying to explore and uh, if you look at what's been done to explore the stratosphere, it's kind of limited. We've pretty much explored space and the troposphere, of course, we know very well. And we're trying to inspire people, trying to set an example for uh, young people and get them interested in science, technology, engineering, and math. So in the case of the Perlin, there's a lot of innovative uh, things that have been done in the integration of the airplane. The sailplane is a uh, 34-foot wingspan, which is kind of a standard wingspan for a uh, racing open-class sailplane. It is two-seat, it is a tandem, and pressurized. The cabin is pressurized by having low leaks, and we just have a scuba tank with regular air in it that makes up any leaks. When we're flying, we keep the cabin altitude so that it never goes higher than 16,500 feet. Such for wearing oxygen masks, we use a rebreather system since most oxygen systems off-gas quite a bit of oxygen, and we'd end up with a high concentration of oxygen in the cabin that would uh, be a situation that would uh, cause a risk of a fire. With the rebreather system, we can normally keep the oxygen concentration below 25, 26%. We've done other little things uh, to study the weather. The model of the mountain wave is much better than it was. And probably the biggest thing that we've uh, discovered is we've proved that these waves actually exist and they actually go to these high altitudes as has been forecast. We've also been sampling the air, sampling radiation, and uh, doing other experiments. We also have provisions where we can carry CubeSats, which are little cubes that are four inches on a side. Inside that footprint, schools and organizations are able to 
build a little experiment. And we've had experiments that have sampled the air, sampled radiation, and other things. And it's been kind of interesting to see what the students have come up with. It gives them a chance to come up with a hypothesis, develop an experiment, and uh, gather some data and see if their hypothesis is correct. That's an outstanding idea. And so how would uh, people listening or kids listening to this, how would they find out more about that particular part of the program? I know they can go to perlinproject.org, but is there a special place where they would apply to get their experiment on board with you? In the past, we've worked with a group called Teachers in Space. They're an organization that promotes these CubeSats, and they have had competitions for groups to design and build these CubeSats. Right now, we're in preliminary stages of talking with a group that's working with the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, and they are sponsoring apparently a nationwide program, which... uh, shortly should be having a contest for students in classrooms to develop more CubeSats. Interesting. Yeah, we need kids in aviation. We need kids in science. There's so much opportunity right now. And for a glider, that was one of my questions. Here you are on the edge of space, but you're not wearing a spacesuit. So this aircraft is self-contained and you're not wearing any kind of a pressure suit or helmet. You're inside of that capsule. Is Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. When you design a normal airplane, the standard is to design it with a safety factor of one and a half. So the wing spar on your airplane, if it's designed to be a 6G airplane, is designed to be suitable for 9Gs. When you build a spacecraft, because it's so critical, the safety factor becomes a factor of three. So the cockpit and cabin of the airplane is designed to hold three times the maximum pressure that we would ever see in flight. And by using spacecraft standards, we essentially are doing the same thing as the space station. You know, the folks in the space station only put their pressure suits on when uh, they're going to go outside on an EVA or when they're getting in their capsule to return uh, back to the Earth. So we're basically using the same standards as NASA would on uh, something like a space station or a capsule that is uh, orbiting the Earth. Outstanding. That's really interesting. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. We're going to come right back after this. I've got Jim Payne of the Perlin Project. You can call my office anytime if you've got questions about this, you want to learn more about this, go to the perlinproject.org. That's the first place you go. And if you still have questions, call my office, 888-366-5256. We'll be right back. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. Make aviation great again. David Costa, the renegade aviator will be right back. He told me to say that. About this time, they tell you you'll be landing shortly. That sound to you like we're going to miss the runway? <laughs> Final approach is not very promising either, is it? Final is not a good word to be using on an airplane. Sometimes the pilot will get on, you'll say, we'll be on the ground in 15 minutes. Well, that's a little vague, isn't it? Now we're taxiing in. She says, welcome to O'Hare International Airport. Well, how can someone who is just arriving herself possibly welcome me to a place she isn't even at yet? Doesn't this, doesn't this violate some fundamental law of physics? This is Jim Payne of the Perlin Project, and I am with David Costa on the Renegade Aviator radio show. 
know flying can sometimes be upsetting. Sometimes you have a bad attitude. Don't let this happen to you. Renegade jets can help you recover from an upset. Pilots today simply do not practice the skills required to control the aircraft in all attitudes and within the entire flight envelope. If you're a pilot and want jet upset training in real jet airplanes, call 888-366-5256. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come fly with me No, David, I don't know why the FAA called. They just said they wanted to talk to you about that flyby. Oh, the host of The Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, David Costa, a guy that burns a lot of jet fuel and talking to a guy that used to burn a lot of jet fuel and now is far more efficient than I'll ever be. He flies to the edge of space in a glider. This is Mr. Jim Payne of the Perlin Project. Jim, first things, it takes a lot of effort, I'm sure, to put something like this together. Is there anybody you want to shout out to, any sponsors or people that deserve special mention here today? Yeah, the Perlin Project is a result of a lot of volunteer work and a lot of people that have uh, made donations to the project. Our lead sponsor has been Airbus, and they have been uh, outstanding. They have given us technical advice when needed, and they've trusted us pretty much to manage the project on our own. Um, Dennis Tito was a big sponsor. We've also had lots of in-kind donations from uh, groups like Garmin. And let's see, Michelin, Bonehead Helmets, which helmets we use when we fly. The folks at BioMarine have helped us out with our rebreathers. BRS helped us out with the BRS parachute that we have on the sailplane so that we can safely land an emergency. But it's been quite an experience. And we're actually, we've used up the Airbus sponsorship and we're actually in the phase of looking for another sponsor for our next campaign to Argentina. So if any of your uh, listeners is interested in uh, being involved in an interesting project, uh, they should uh, go to our website and contact us. Especially on this, I mean, you're breaking world records. It's great for a sponsor to get to do good at the same time, to promote aviation, to promote education, and to be involved with uh, some really, really good people. I know you guys are over at the same airport that I am. I've seen the airplane at a glimpse. I've looked at that capsule and uh, really been astounded by what you've been able to put together. And I think that's as part of it as well. I think Looking at this, it's great. I guess what people are looking at now is very, very far along, but I'm sure you've had to overcome some challenges along the way. Anything you'd like to share or maybe some challenges that were met and overcome that would help, you know, give people that nudge that, look, you know, whatever it is you want to do in life, you're going to meet these challenges. How do you overcome stuff like that? Well, we've actually been very fortunate. We've got a group of people that have a lot of experience in the industry. Heiner Einzelfoltzen, he spent many years as a flight test pilot at then NASA Dryden, now NASA Armstrong. And he's a consummate scientist. He's got a lot of high-altitude experience. And uh, as such, he did a very good job of studying the requirements 
in laying the foundation for what we've done. You know, the biggest challenge working with volunteers, of course, is being able to uh, manage their time and being able to get the project done in a timely manner. But uh, that's uh, something that we've um, proudly accomplished. We haven't had any major problems along the way. We've had uh, little discoveries. For instance, we didn't realize that we would have to put heaters necessarily on some of the components of the airplane. So one thing that we did, which turned out to be an excellent choice, was we have a camera on the top of the vertical tail. We're able to view the image inside the cockpit, as well as provide some outstanding visuals after landing. And as such, that camera is exposed to extreme cold temperatures. We've seen as much as minus 105 degrees Fahrenheit on our flights. Had to put heaters on the camera, for instance, to keep it working at these high altitudes. High is always relative, right? A guy that flies a 172 thinks 15,000 feet is high. A guy like me that flies corporate jets might think 51,000 feet is high. And then you're looking down at everybody. So everything is relative. You know, challenges are relative. But what you're doing, it's neat. It's edge of space, people. A lifetime of achievement bringing on to this Perlin project. We're going to come back for one more segment. And what I'd like to do is talk about, I'm just looking at it on your website. This virtual cockpit. So stay right there. This is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, back right after these messages with Jim Payne of the Perlin Project. Pilots are cool. That's why I listen to David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. So stay right there. We'll be right back. About this time, someone is telling you to get on the plane. Get on the plane. Get on the plane. I say. I'm getting in the plane. In the plane. Let evil Knievel get on the plane. I'll be in here with you folks in uniform. There seems to be less wind in here. Once I get you up there where the air is rarefied, we'll just glide. Wait a second. Did you miss an episode of my show? Well, we have your six aviation term there. We have your back. Search the Renegade Aviator radio show on that internet thing, and you'll find all kinds of places where you can hear me. Technology, an amazing thing. AV, the number eight R, iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeart, Stitcher, Google Play. You can take me with you. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. See ya. David Costa, a legend in his own mind. The Renegade Aviator, in the air and on air. Here we go. All right, 
right, David Costa, back with you. How are those commercials? Do you love those? Well, those commercials keep us on the air. So thank you for supporting our sponsors. And today I am with Jim Payne, the chief pilot and a board member of the Perlin Project. And I promised you before the last break that I was going to tell you about the virtual cockpit. Well, I lied to you. I'm going to let Jim kind of explain this so I don't do poorly with it. But the first step is go to perlinproject.org. And then, Jim, what is this virtual cockpit? Pretty cool. The Perlin has an extensive telemetry system. We have 22 Arduinos on the airplane, which are gathering data all around the airplane, as well as science information. And we're able to telemeter some of that information to the ground real time. We had an intern who developed a website that takes some of the telemetry data and displays it real time at the website. So when we're flying, people on the ground are able to look at a moving map that shows our location. They're able to observe the amount of oxygen and air that we have in the airplane. They're able to observe our altitude, the wind speed, and our airspeed. All of this in real time on the flight to... 50 or 76,000 feet, understand about 13,000 people worldwide were watching us as uh, we made that flight. And afterwards, really interesting to talk to some of them because there were people that said they were uh, cheering for us and people that said they, they actually were crying to, because they understood how much effort had gone into building this airplane and uh, making these flights. To sign up for the cockpit or to get notified when we fly, you can go to the website and sign up for a newsletter. If you sign up for the newsletter, we send an email when we fly. Or if you sign up to uh, follow us on Twitter, you'll get a Twitter message that says that the virtual cockpit is active. Outstanding. You mentioned something in the break, and I want to bring it up because I'm one of those pilots that has never set foot in a glider And I need to do that because there is a skill set that you're going to learn doing that. But anybody can take a glider flight. Isn't that true? Yes, anybody can take a glider flight. Any soaring operation that does instruction will have a two-seat sailplane, and you can commission an introductory flight or just uh, an introductory lesson and take a tow. It's amazing how many people I meet that are in their 50s and 60s that are flying sailplanes that tell me they wish that they had tried it sooner. At places like Minden in the summertime, there are many people on the weekends that take their sailplanes and they fly up and down the Sierra or out into the Great Basin. The vistas are actually outstanding. And of course, if you make a good glider flight, it's because of pilot skill. You know, in F-16, you've got so much thrust, it's really easy to make a good flight. But in the sailplane, if you're not able to find lift and soar, you're not going to stay up very long and you're not going to go very far. But uh, with a little bit of practice, it's amazing what can be accomplished. I was kind of amazed to learn that gliders can fly not just over the airport, but they can actually go places and come back sometimes. That was amazing to me. Absolutely. Well, people that are experienced, they get back, I would say, 95% of the time, especially with some of the modern sailplanes, which have uh, outstanding performance. The best sailplane, racing sailplanes out there are approaching probably 70 to 1 glide ratios. So if you're one mile high, you can glide 70 miles and still air. The handling qualities are getting so that the sailplanes are relatively easy to fly. And uh, it's a lot of fun. All right. You convinced me. I'm one of these guys. Yeah, yeah, I got to do something different. And although I've flown a lot of different things, I've not flown a glider. So I'm going to put a shout out to everybody. I'm going to go try it. And I'm going to put the shout out to all my pilot friends and everybody listening. Go out and try flying a glider. I'll give you some very small, very small perspective of 
the great accomplishments that everybody involved in the Perlin project is doing. So it's beautiful out here in the Minden area, of course, but there's glider places, I guess, all over the country. But really go to theperlinproject.org and find out more about this. And a shout out again, you companies that would like to get involved and sponsor these people, get involved with something worthwhile. Jim, any closing comments before we uh, say goodbye? I appreciate this opportunity, Dave. It's uh, been a fantastic experience for me flying cell planes for these many, many years. said earlier, I've got 7,000 hours in cell planes now, and I've enjoyed every one of them. And I'd encourage other people to give it a try. You know, soaring is a green sport. We're using the atmosphere to fly. It's essentially solar powered because the effect of the sun is to cause the winds that make the mountain wave and uh, make the thermals. So uh, go green, go soaring. Outstanding. Jim, thanks a lot. And uh, if I can ever be a service down there at the airport, look me up. Um, I'm the one making noise on the airport. But I really appreciate your time and coming on the Renegade Aviator radio show today. Dave, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Right on, sir. Thank you. Now boarding American Airlines Flight 809, nonstop to Seattle, Tacoma. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, my God. You're Sully Sullenberger. Mm-hmm. You landed that plane in the Hudson River. You saved all those people's lives. Yeah, well, I just did what I had to do. I didn't know you were flying again. Yeah, I took some time off to write a book, but uh, I'm ready to get back to just being a captain again. Well, it's an honor, sir. Let me know if you need anything at all. Thank you much. Morning. Come on in. Uh, whoops, I'm sorry. I, I think uh, I'm in that seat. <laughs> What's that? The captain's chair? Yeah, I'm sorry. I think uh, according to the rotation sheet, it says I'm the captain on this row. Tower, uh, this is uh, American 809. It looks like we got an itty-bitty typo on our rotation sheet. Can you confirm our captain roster, please? Copy, 809. We have Captain Doug uh, Hubbard as first in command. Uh, Tower, this is American 809. I'm, uh, I'm Sully. <laughs> I'm Sully, Sully Sullenberger, Miracle on the Hudson, so... Copy. You haven't flown in a while, Sullenberger, so FAA requires 18 hours as second in command. You'll be assisting Captain Hubbard today. Well, uh, Tower, Tower, well, all right. Tower, this is American 809. We're fueled up and ready for pre-check. Copy that, Captain. We've got you on runway 22. Runway Runway 22. Copy. Yeah. Good morning, folks. This is your captain. And I'm Sully. (laughs) Should be a pretty smooth ride today. Hero of the Hudson. (laughs) Weather in Seattle is 77 degrees, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Brace for impact. Just kidding. thousand hours of practice the black belt is ready to begin learning do you want to be an elite level pilot or just someone who flies airplanes want to improve safety have more confidence enjoy flying more do you know any elite performer who does not use a coach thought so 888-366-5256 say hey dave i want to be a black belt aviator and we'll send you the details 888-366-5256 so be- Oh!
I can hardly wait. Here he is, the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, with my final show segment, the part of the show where I am fortunate enough to have an opportunity to sum up the show and make my own unique Renegade Aviator comments on this week's show. But before I impart my words of wisdom, (laughs) calm down out there. Let me have my fun. I want to encourage you to do me a favor. If you're listening on one of my radio stations, please let them know that you listen and like the show. These shows are designed to be evergreen, meaning that you can listen anytime on iHeart, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and you can share them. All right, back to where I started. Did you listen to Jim Payne in that first segment? Here is a guy flying a glider to the edge of space. A guy's dream that started decades ago. A guy who obviously worked very hard to get to where he is today. He used a word that I just used at the start of my segment here. Fortunate. Successful people are fortunate. Want to know a secret? You are fortunate. It amazes me how so many people are so quick to take a swipe at people who are more fortunate than they are. But we all live in the matrix, shameful movie reference. Most of the time, the people who are the most fortunate are the people who have worked hard, focused on a goal, and stayed the course. They worked the process. Some are fortunate immediately, but that's luck. Some are fortunate after a lifetime. Both will call themselves lucky and fortunate. You see, I learn a lot about people when I learn how long they are willing to hold on to their dream and, here's the kicker, remain in action toward it. No BS, no excuses, just in the process. It is the process that creates the fortune. It is the work that is what you need to enjoy. The lazy, those who blame, will look to the fortunate and insert a myriad of excuses of why not. For Jim Payne and those involved with the Perlin Project, flying a glider to the edge of space, they will remain focused on the goal. They will see obstacles as learning opportunities, and they will call themselves fortunate. I am fortunate. You are fortunate, regardless of what we believe right now. 888-366-5256. Call me. Leave a message on how I can help you with your aviation passion. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya. So be 